When a college dorm room becomes infested with demonic activity, who has to pay for the exorcism? And then we travel to Canada to meet three teenage boys having a sleepover. As the root beer flows freely and the pizza is slowly eaten up by this trio of friends, little do they know they're about to encounter a mystery in an unlikely place. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys have some awesome plans for the weekend. I say that I am waiting. I've been waiting for weeks. The new, next week is the new Fast and the Furious. That's what I'm going to be doing on my weekend. May 19th. Family comes together one last time. I'm not getting paid for this. This isn't a promo read. This isn't a promo read. It's Fast X. I don't think it's the end. <laughs> Jason, don't be shocked if this isn't the end of one of the longest running film series. Still making money. Get ready for Dom Toretto to get the family together one last time. That's what they're telling me. I have to go see it because it's the last time. Jason Statham is on back on board. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait, man. Loud cars, beautiful women, stuff blowing up. Fast X coming out next week. That's how I'm how excited I am. I'm going to enter a state of suspended animation this weekend just to get ready to go see some Fast X. May 19th. But I hope you guys, I hope you guys have good plans this weekend. I don't have any plans. But someone who will join me in not having any plans, walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now is one of our legacy Patreon supporters. Everyone give it up for Escala. Woohoo! Yeah! Wee! Yeah, let's clap more. Escuela, yeah, wee! I was more enthusiastic about Fast X. I'm like, oh, hey, Escuela. No, you're awesome, too. Escuela, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's totally fine. I get it. If you guys can't support the show financially, I understand. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. You have no idea how much it helps if you just tell one or two people about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps the show grow. It really, really does. I really, really appreciate it. Iskala, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jet. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command, fly us all the way out to Alabama. (laughs) Troy, Alabama, to be specific. And there is a little college. I don't know. It could be big. I didn't look at it on a map or nothing. But there's a university called Troy University. Get ready, guys. We're back to school. We got our backpacks on. We're listening to music, dancing. (laughs) That's what they do, right? Choreographed dances in colleges. Well, in the choreographed dance department, they do. We're there. We're doing a little dance. We don't know. We're just making it up. They're like, oh, I spent weeks for this performance. We're just up on stage doing these dances. We're doing all these dances, and then we leave. (laughs) We're actually forced out by security, but we come back at night. The spookiest time to be on any college campus. Now, Troy University, like so many other colleges in America, and I'm sure throughout the world, tons of ghost stories. Tons of ghost stories. And you ha- you can look at it one of two ways. You could go, well, you know, it's that's, that's my skeptic voice. Uh, well, anyways, 
You can look at it in two different ways. The skeptics could say, yeah, it makes sense there's a bunch of ghost stories there. You have people traveling from all over. They're in a new place. They're already a little on edge. And then you have the seniors kind of goosing with the freshmen. And they're like, don't go into that dorm late at night. The security guard will beat you senseless. Ever since those, all those people showed up and ruined that big performance. Don't go into that dorm late at night. There's a real threat there. But also, if you walk down Freshman's Plaza after 3 a.m., there's a ghost of an old man will hop out of the bushes and, and beat you up. <laughs> He's also used to work for the security department. They just love beating people up here. You know, these ghost stories, right? Like, you're just hazing people. It could also be, the non-skeptical answer would be, colleges, I mean, there's so much energy. Again, from this, for the same reasons. You have people traveling, they're away from their homes for the first time, they're taking their first steps into the world of adulthood, there's responsibilities and all this stuff, releasing a lot of psychic energy. And this would be a big melting pot for that type of thing. So, But we do see a lot of ghost stories in universities, a lot of, we've covered, I mean, I couldn't even put all the episodes in the show notes, we've covered haunted universities so many times. And we're going to take a look at this one, because this one has an interesting twist. But let's take a look at some of their ghost stories, too, as we set this up. First off, Pace Hall, which used to be a sorority dorm. So you had all these girls running around, pillow fighting each other. Nerds trying to steady. She gets hit in the head with a pillow and her glasses fall off. She's super sexy now. She picks up a pillow. She's hitting people. All night long pillow fights. But in one room, a group of girls, one dormitory here, a group of girls who were playing with a Ouija board, and a dark spirit was summoned into the room. Rawr, comes out of the board. Well, it wasn't that dramatic. It was actually was far less dramatic than that. They summoned the dark spirit and paper clips started levitating around the room. So, no, there, they didn't actually see the apparition of a monster up here. Just a couple paper clips were flying around. They're like, ah, ah, we need those to hold paper together. It got really bad. There were other items as well. There were heavier items as well. A bookcase. They're like, ah, oh, bring back the paper clips. But nothing too bad. But I would argue if you're trying to learn, or even if you're just trying to sleep, any, <laughs> any amount of hovering items is too many. It would be cool to see the first time. But you're like, where did I put my coffee cup? <laughs> Scalding hot coffee's pouring on your head. You're like, ah, that's it. We need to tell somebody. We need to get this over with well apparently it got so bad that an exorcism was performed at that dormitory to put a little pin in that one because i kind of mentioned that one in the intro i'm finding these from so many different sources a lot of them are local ghost hunting resources and things like that the school newspaper has done several stories on the hauntings at troy university the school newspaper, the Tropolitan, the Tropolitan, something like that. Anyway, Space Hall. Now let's go to MacArthur Hall, which a long time ago was a fallout shelter. They had a fallout shelter on campus just in case the nukes came flying. It used to be a fallout shelter, and then once people go, ah, I don't think nukes are going to be flying anytime soon. It started being used as just a place where you can have, like, groups. You know, stuff like Dungeons & Dragons Club or the AV Club. Just different groups would go through it, use it. And they said most of the building was deserted. 
In modern times, most of the building was deserted. The entire second floor of the building was unused. Oh, and the fallout shelter was underneath it as well. <laughs> it wasn't like, hey, everyone, nukes are falling. Let's go to the second floor. Underneath it was a fallout shelter, but you had a building on top of it. The second floor, people would say it looked like it was lost in time. So a lot of people used the first floor. No one used the second floor. And when you went up there, it was like there was some sort of cataclysm and everyone just ran out. It just was dusty and old. No one ever really went up there except to go, hey, you want to see something weird? Let's go upstairs. It looks like no one's been here in decades because really nobody had been, or at least using it on a regular basis. Well, there was an alumni of Troy University. His name is Matt Holmes. And he went ahead and did an interview with the college newspaper, the Tropolitan. Tropolitan. And this article is written by Mary Farrell. And he goes, so, because this, this is one of the articles where they were talking about haunted places around campus. Matt Holmes goes, it's super weird. Like, when you go down into the fallout sector, the fallout bunker underneath the building, something wasn't right. And we talk about ghosts. We talk about uh, demons using the Ouija board. This, if this story is true, this is such a high-level haunting if, it's off the power scale. And it would be hard to classify it if it if you could even say it was a haunting. What we're about to get into. It's interesting because you think they have this building and sometimes colleges, you know, as they expand and they improve their buildings, certain buildings may be used less. But remember, this building was pretty much abandoned. You had student groups in here from time to time. The entire second floor, it looked like everyone just left. You had cabinets and desks and everything still up there. Paper clips. But you go down to the fallout section, and this is what Matt said happened. I'm going to read this quote. He goes, quote, Hallways seem to change on us, sometimes slightly, like a picture or vent, seem to be in a different place than before. But sometimes, even doors and whole corridors seem to not be there when we would pass by them again. So that's a completely different level of paranormal activity. Like at that point is this, you, you, I mean, you could, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin to start classifying it. It could be a haunting thing. It could be like skinamarink, right? There's some monster taking all the doorknobs away and making the rooms and the building completely different. It could be that. It could be what we've been talking about a couple times on this show lately. We, we mentioned it on, in an episode or two ago. A localized Mandela effect where literally they are moving through realities as they're walking through these corridors. And so when they do leave one corridor and they come back into it and it's different, it, it, they're not in the same corridor they originally were. Geographically, they're in the same area, but in the timeline or in... The realities, they're in a different one. Or they're perceiving a hallway from a different reality. There's a whole sort of things you could do with this. Super fascinating. If you did work in a building where your basement shifted, reality, shifted realities as you were walking through it, I think you would abandon the building. I think you would be like, guys, we do a lot of good work up here. It's a great view. However... 
uh, 30, 30 feet below us. The timelines are shifting. I think it's time to go find a new building. I think everyone should just leave everything here. No, don't grab your paper clips. Leave them there. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. My jacket's in there. Is it? And you turn and you look and your jacket's no longer in the building. You're, ah. Because the, the fear would be whatever a phenomenon was down here in this basement that it would spread. Why would it be contained to this basement? They'd let the student groups in there. They're like, eh, the Dungeons and Dragons Club wants to use it. Go nuts. <laughs> go down into those tunnels. Go on an adventure. One of you may never return. <laughs> like, wait, what was that last part? The dean's like, nothing. But it's an interesting story. If this would be an amazing place to check out, right? It would be pretty easy to figure out if there's anything to this. It's possible, right, that this is urban legend. Matt, Matt Holmes is an alumni. He could be repeating his story. He says that him and a friend went down there and they experienced that. But, you know, it could be urban legend. He could have been exaggerating a little bit. The... You know, Troy University, I'm not necessarily going to say it's a public place. I don't think a non-student can start walking around in the fallout shelter. You could try. <laughs> you could try, although their security guards seem quite aggressive. A student definitely could. A student could check out this area. However, they tore it all down in 2021. The building doesn't exist anymore. It's been demolished. The fallout shelter, I assume, the same way. I mean, it... I don't know if they would fill it with concrete, but they wouldn't just have like a hatch to a fallout shelter just in the middle. of <laughs> People are playing frisbee and they keep tripping over the hatch. It's gone. If the fallout shelter's still down there, you can't get into it. The building itself has been demolished. Very fascinating story. But we can't check it out now. It's just been destroyed. And really, you know, quite recently, it's been destroyed since this podcast has been going. We're coming up to the, this is crazy, we're coming up to year five of this podcast. This podcast started in 2018. It's absolutely insane. But anyways, let's backtrack a little bit. I love the idea of a shape-shifting or shifting reality fallout shelter, or really, really any location. It could be a veranda that's constantly changing it's shape. I guess it's always pretty much a hexagon. You can just look around. You're like, oh, that uh, piece of wood is in a different location. And then you just walk out of it and you're back in the park. But I, I find that absolutely fascinating. But let's back up a bit. Because the reason why I found out about this was somebody posted. That story was posted in 2013. Explaining what had happened. And 2013 is when that article was was published. But between 2013 and 2021, and I'm assuming that phenomenon didn't start in 2013. That's just when that account came out. Who knows how many people had gone down there just doing routine maintenance or just exploring. I came across this because somebody posted online going by the name Distinct Walrus. You know, like the big sea animal. Distinct Walrus 8936. And they said back in the 2000s, me and my friends, we lived in college housing at Troy University. We lived in college housing at Troy University. And the house was haunted. What happened was we kept hearing voices in the home and... Not just that, right? That's disturbing enough. Hearing a phantom voice calling out to you from down the hallway. 
Chuck. Chuck, come here. I want to show you something. Creepy, right? Not only would it do that, <laughs> that's absolutely, I said it's creepy, that's downright terrifying. It wasn't just that they would hear a voice, they would hear something that could copy the voice of the other residents. And your own voice. So imagine you're sitting there, all of a sudden you hear a, Hey Jason, come in, come into your bedroom, I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm you. Come into the bedroom. I rented a movie for us. I rented Fast and Furious 9. I'm like, what? Fantastic. I will follow you, Phantom, anywhere. We're family, after all. I, which is weird, because if you, generally, when you hear your own voice, you'd be like, well, that doesn't sound like me. It's all a perfect imitation of your voice. And you're like, what? That doesn't sound like me. And your friends are like, no, Jason, that's clearly your voice. It's coming from inside the closet. What? I don't know. That voice sounds kind of high-pitched. Kind of sounds like... Kermit the Frog and Jordan Peterson had a kid. You're like, yeah, Jason, we've been we've been telling you that for years too. I'm like, oh man, my whole my whole life has been a lie. Kermit, come to me, hidey hole. But anyways, it would mimic your voice or somebody else's voice. It, that that is more disturbing than just hearing a voice calling out to you from the darkness. So they complain to the university. They're like, sure, the plumbing works, everything's fine. We don't have a cockroach infestation. However. Or we're pretty sure our house is haunted. And since we're living in college property, we need you to take care of this. Here's the thing I find interesting. There's tons of hauntings, tons of hauntings all across the world. And a lot of times people go, yeah, we just deal with it. Like, yeah, you know, my every so often my baby, <laughs> every so often my baby goes missing and then comes back and he's aged five years. The dog looks down the hallway and barks at something that isn't there. But what are you going to do? What are you, what are you going to do about my time traveling baby who's experienced hells beyond all imagination? What are you going to do? They just live with it. But this must have been so disturbing. Not just like creepy, but also like they're trying to get work done and they keep hearing it's time it's your turn to take out the trash. You got to take out the trash and you're like, "Well, oh, come on, Phil, it's your turn to take out the huh?" And he's just in an empty room. Like, it's starting arguments among among the roommates. I think your girlfriend's hot. What? Oh, man, it's just a phantom ghost, or is it? He's starting fist fights in the, in the middle of the hallway. And eventually, these roommates go, you got to take care of this. So the university has an exorcism done at the house. And uh, this guy, the walrus guy, we'll go ahead and call him Chuck. Chuck says they either did an exorcism or a blessing. I'm not entirely for sure what it was, but college had someone come out. And after that, all the activity stopped. But later on in the semester, the administration, the college administration, had found out that one of the roommates had a previous haunting. In another place that they lived, a childhood home or a previous dorm or whatever. He goes, one of my roommates had a previous haunting. So, at the end of the term, we got a bill. We got like our normal housing expenses bill, because it's campus housing that we would pay to the college. 
And on this bill, there was a miscellaneous fee. And when we asked what the miscellaneous fee was for, we were told that was for the exorcism. He said it actually was spread out among the student accounts. Like, so school, like you're in prison, you got money on the books type of thing. They were trying to charge them for the miscellaneous fee. They're spreading it out for all of the roommates. And they fought it. He doesn't say whether or not they successfully fought it. He just says... Once the university found out that one of us had a previous haunting, they tried to charge us. They tried to charge our student accounts and call it a miscellaneous fee. How egregious. He doesn't necessarily say they paid it, but sometimes it's hard to fight the machine. They're like, well, you can pay the money. You can pay the money or the ghost is coming back. We got them in a box. You're like, ah, okay, fine. I'll just pay your stupid money. But you, and then you kick the box over in the dean's office. He's like, no, no. Or they could just be like, no, you got to pay the money because you go to school here and you owe us this money. It's super interesting because he tells this story and he does not name the university. But, you know, of course, online, everyone's like, oh, you know, you're making this up. You're making this up. And he goes, no, it's he goes at the same. He goes, I'll tell you, be honest. It happened at Troy University. And he goes, they did the same thing to, to a sorority house in the 90s. And he goes, I'm pretty sure the school newspaper still has an article on that. So apparently, well, he says they did the same thing to a sorority house in the early 90s. I'm wondering if that encompasses the whole thing. We do know there is a story about a girl's playing with a Ouija board in the 90s at Pace Hall, and they called it an exorcist. I wonder if they charged them as well. I bet you, I bet you they did. 100%. And I, it made me start to think, like, I don't know. It's funny to think about this. i sure I could Google it. I never really thought about it before. I don't know if, like when you think of exorcisms, you think of the Catholic Church. I don't know if they do it pro bono. If you're not Catholic. Like, do they, like, the, the priest comes in and your daughter's, her head spinning around the, the room is like, he needs even vomit. And he's like, listen. You got a real problem here, lady. But I noticed I noticed you got no crucifixes. This seems like it's a Methodist household as the vomit's getting deeper and deeper. It's up to his thighs now. It'd be a shame if this entire house, you know, burst into flames and your daughter was dragged into hell. But um maybe a little bit of money. Maybe a little maybe maybe if you paid 10% of your income for all the time you weren't a Catholic, I could uh, get rid of this. Get rid of this demon in your daughter's body. I don't think they do, but I don't know. And honestly, I could Google it, but I don't think it's a cut and dry answer. I really don't think it's something that I'm sure it depends on so many factors. A part of it could just be like the goodwill of the person, like the money's not mandatory. But, you know, you're like, hey, hey, priest, thanks for helping out. And you toss him a couple bucks and he's Seriously, he's all scratched up. He's lost an arm in the battle between good and evil. They're like, hey, uh, here's a little tip for you, priest. You're like, oh, man, this won't even pay for a frosty. Or <laughs> it won't even pay for my medical bill. I'm missing an arm. Well, I'm missing an arm. Where did it go? The daughter's all, oh, she ate it. She's, she's not even possessed anymore. She's totally fine. Turns out she was always a cannibal. I'm wondering if there's a fee structure. And also, not every exorcist is... Catholic, you do have Protestant exorcists. 
And, you know, and then you get into the whole thing, like, if it's not necessarily an exorcism, but a blessing, that can be any denomination. You could have, like, some hippie walking in and, like, burning sage and stuff like that and be like, feel the good inside of you. Demons aren't groovy. And demon leaves. He's like, wow, that was easy. Demons go back to hell. They're like, you won't believe it. This this hippie stuff works. I just smelt some sage. And all of a sudden I realized that wasn't groovy anymore. And I left. Forget all that Latin stuff. So I don't know. I think it would depend on a bunch of different factors. But it's interesting. And I'm sure they do pass that fee along. And you wonder. This is one of those stories. That we only know about. Because some guy posted about it. 2023 when I was reading the internet. And came across it like. We don't know how widespread this is. A lot of times students can just be like. Are you kidding? Well again. Yeah, it's an extra hundred. We all have to pay a hundred bucks to pay off that exorcist because I'm pretty sure he has that demon ready to get let go. I keep seeing him in the bushes at night holding a box and then he rubs his fingers together like he wants some money from us. I wonder how many times this happened. Is it something that there's only been two examples throughout the entire past few decades? Or is this like a regular thing? And the colleges call it a miscellaneous fee. Because they don't want it to get out that they're charging people for exorcisms. But you know what I mean? Like, I can't imagine it's only happened twice. And it's only happened at this university. But on the other hand, it's something that we never even knew happened. Ever knew, really, that it was a thing until we came across this account. And he says that it had happened before. And we do verify, like, when you read that article back from 2013, they say, yeah, there there was definitely an exorcism at that Hall. They don't go into detail whether or not they were charged, but that would be, again, something that the people who were charged were like, what? This is ridiculous. And the administration would be like, well, it might be ridiculous, but this isn't the first time we've done this. <laughs> we did this to a bunch of girls. We made them pay. We're going to make you pay. You can fight it. But just remember, the alternative is hearing your own voice screaming at the top of its lungs in the middle of the night. While you're trying to sleep. So think very think very carefully about trying not to pay us. You know, I don't have enough time to do the story about the teenage sleepover. We're going to have to save that for next week. This story, it, it, it ran long, but there were so many different little points of interest I wanted to talk about in this story. So we're going to save the teen sleepover for Monday or, or for next week. Cause it's a really puzzling. Again, it's one of those, what is it? It's not necessarily a ghost story. It's paranormal, but what does it mean? But I do want to uh, do, to do this one short. I do want to do one more thing. It's kind of short. It's kind of a fascinating look at the world of the paranormal. Iskala, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the world famous carpenter copter. We are leaving behind Troy University. No demons aboard this helicopter. Take us up, up and away out of Alabama and fly us all the way out to a cabin in the woods. We're standing outside of this cabin in the woods. Very peaceful. Everything feels calm and serene. And I pull a key out of my pocket, click, click, open the door, and we walk inside of this cabin. Well, some of us do. Half of you guys are outside of the cabin. Half of us are inside the cabin. <laughs> Jason, is half of us going to get mauled by a deer 
have a brutal snowstorm come. No, no, no. We're just going to be separated for a bit. One half of you guys outside, half of you guys inside. A while back, I was reading about, we did a, a story, we did a couple stories about fairies and about the fairy realm. We did a story about a young woman who was outside smoking a cigarette with a friend and she saw a parade of like 15 inch tall, 12 to 15 inch tall people, fairy folk walking by her they had this little parade and they they were super mad they were they kept in line but they were so mad they were spotted by humans i did that story when that story was posted people online were talking about it and there was a guy he wrote and i I thought this was so interesting i I don't think i had i had heard the world of the paranormal explained in such a way so i wanted to discuss this with you guys real quick he posted online, he went by the name Ghost in Waiting was his username, and, and he said this. I just thought this was so cool, I wanted to share it with you. He said, if you are in a dark room on a sunny day, and you look out the window, you can see everything. You can see the trees, the blue sky, you can see people standing around outside your window. You can see the world perfectly. But if you're on the outside and it's a sunny day and there's a window that looks into a dark room, you can't see anything. And the inverse is true. If it's a dark night and you're in a room with the light on, you can't see anything outside the cabin. You can't see anything out that window. It's just darkness. But if you're standing outside in the darkness... And you look through a window and it's a well-lit room. You can see everything in the cabin. And I thought that was so fascinating. I thought that was a really interesting way to lay that out. So he said, and he was talking about fey folk, but I really think this expands to everything in the world of the paranormal. He goes, quote, two dimensions live side by side. One is aware of the other and the other is not. From time to time, a light gets turned on. A dark room becomes well lit or a dark landscape is illuminated. Reality is the cabin. and It's well lit. But every so often, a light illuminates the outside and we can see what is unseen 99.9% of the time. Now, I specify the cabin example. He just says a light room and a dark room. I specify the cabin because I feel that reality is the limiting factor, right? A cabin has four walls. No matter how big the cabin is, it's finite. You can have a two-story cabin. You can have a cabin that's the size of a palatial estate, but there's still a limit to it. You can have every light on, you can know every nook and cranny, but there's a limited amount of nooks and or crannies in this cabin, in reality. The limitless outside world, the unknowable darkness, the world of the paranormal has no boundaries. Or no knowable boundaries, nothing we've ever been able to discover we don't even know what's out there and what i find so fascinating is we in the cabin in reality our light is always on we're always able to know what is in the cabin what the rules of the cabin are 
And we can look out when when you think about the paranormal, when you think about the scary other that is out there, the ghost stories, the aliens, all of that stuff. We know that there, well, you know, skeptics would say there's nothing out in the darkness. There's nothing out there. You can look out the window, you see the darkness. But there's also, you know, people who do believe in this stuff. There is an element of fear, curiosity, right? Wondering what is beyond the window. But when that light flashes and we're actually able to see for a moment the outside of the cabin, whether it's an alien visitation, seeing a cryptid, ghosts, any sort of paranormal activity, shape-shifting hallways, we're seeing that. The reason why I like the cabin example is the paranormal world can always see us. It is fully aware that we exist. They can see us all the time. Which is just terrifying. The smallest flash of light outside, we can see maybe a few feet of grass, maybe the base of a tree. That's all we get each moment of the world of the paranormal. They're constantly looking into the well-lit cabin. It's just creepy to think there are things out there that see us at all times. They know we exist. They may personally know you. Know of your trials and tribulations. They may not care. Right? <laughs> There's a big old perverted shadow man watching you, watching you go to the bathroom. He's like, oh, man, he ate Taco Bell. <laughs> he ate Taco Bell today. The Shadow Man's going to have fun tonight. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying that it's just that creepy. And it's so funny because there's so many ways we can look at this. Like, I don't want to go on too long about this. But you could even branch this out and go, how paranormal is the world? Because as I was doing this, you know, the show is, you know, so impromptu. I just have a couple notes here. I started thinking about it. Are aliens also in the cabin? I started to think about that. I go, Technically, with a lot of theories as far as aliens go, they're also in the cabin. We Maybe they're upstairs. We, we haven't met them yet. But it's interesting because you would have... I mean, like, is alien life biological? I, it's weird to think that, yeah, you technically would have humans and aliens in the same boat where we are confined to the laws of reality. Sure, they can go faster than light or they can travel dimensions and things like that, which don't conform to our ideas of scientific rules of reality but in the world of the paranormal i think actually aliens are closer to us than ghosts are even though they're the spirits of former human or former living humans a living human and a living gray alien have more in common than a ghost of a human actually now that i think is that true i don't know it, it, it could just you can really just talk about this stuff for hours. <laughs> Generally, get you put into a loony bin if you did it in public at the top of your lungs. But that's why we try not to do that. That's why we try not to do that. But yeah, would a human, a living human, and a living alien have more in common than a ghost? The ghost of a human. Where do cryptids fall into that? Angels and demons we've always seen apart from the human experience. They're a completely different interdimensional set of entities. But even though you say demons are here to tempt humanity and angels are here to protect us, 
a human would still have more in common with a living gray alien or a reptilian overlord who commands some armada deep in the galaxy than they would to an angel or a demon, even though, according to the lore, right, that we know, they are assigned to Earth. It's fascinating. I mean, I find the whole thing fascinating. I, and now that I'm thinking about it, I would think that aliens would be inhabitants of this cabin as well. They would also be restrained by reality, despite the fact that it seems like they break these scientific laws. They may be scared of the dark just as well. Yeah, it's just interesting. I, I really love that analogy, though. I wanted to share that with you, the lit cabin. I think it applies maybe maybe not to the alien example, but I think it applies to a lot of the world of the paranormal, that we can't see them, but they can see us. They can clearly see us. It's like looking into a well-lit room late at night. But we living humans are in the cabin and we just see darkness. There's so much more out there waiting for us. Waiting for us as explorers to discover or waiting to devour us, waiting to destroy us, licking their lips on the other side of that thin glass window. And another thing I thought of, and I'll wrap it up like this, when I read this analogy was, can you control it? Can you figure out a way? I'm sure a medium would say yes. I'm sure there are clairvoyants and other people who claim to have these powers. But could you figure out a way to manually light up the outdoors? Could you figure out a way to, to if even so briefly... Flash a light outside the cabin so you can control seeing outside of the cabin. I mean, I guess actually, yeah, that's what a medium or a clairvoyant or a psychic claims to do, that they actually can see into the world of the paranormal. But how much control can we have over that? We can't shut the light off. We don't know how to hide our reality from them. But is there a way that we can get glimpses into the dark forest surrounding us? And even in a more terrifying manner, is there a way we can open that window? To remove the separation between the world of darkness and the well-lit cabin. And that's where we start talking about theories of CERN opening up interdimensional portals. You know, some someone's trying to figure out a way, someone's doing some scientific experiment, and the next thing you know, they haven't just opened the window, they shatter the glass. These experiments gone wrong, or even rituals gone wrong, that permanently alter the separation between the darkness and the well-lit cabin. There's no longer brief glimpses of the outside world the window has been shattered and the darkness begins to creep into our reality permanently there's no more protection from it not just humanity but all of reality all of the real is now permeated with the nothingness with the darkness 
with the unknown. Eventually, the light switch in the cabin is flipped. And the lights of the well-lit cabin turn off. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys. <laughs>